All right, I'd like to welcome you. Glad you chose to worship with us this morning. There's a lot of things you could be doing, including being in a warm bed right now, but I'm glad you chose to worship here with us and glorify our Lord this morning. If you are here for the first time and you like gifts, there's a white card in your pew that's called our connection card. If you could fill that out, and after our after the service is over, you can take it out to our welcome center that's out here where you'll find information about our church, and you'll find people that will greet you and give you a gift and also answer any questions and maybe help you not get lost through the maze of our of our buildings here. If you've had changes in your life and you've moved or you've changed your number or you're tired of your email getting hacked and you're sending weird emails to everybody you know and you've changed your email address completely, if you've made those changes, grab that connection card also and put your changes down there so you can keep it up to date on all the information that we send out, newsletters and various things. We're looking more into social media, so you might make sure you are connected. We have your correct information, and then drop it in our offering boxes. We don't pass offering plates. We have boxes at the back of the church where for, for giving, and also the, your connection cards can go there at the end of the day. If you've ever wanted to know more about our church, maybe our church history or our denominational history, how is our denomination connected to the, the Wright brothers, or, or how did this all get started? There's a, there's a membership class on Saturday that you're not required to become a member. You can come to the class, learn more about those things, no commitment. And at the end of the day, if you want to be committed to our church, you take the next step and put the church in a position to hold you accountable and, and also be able to vote and do some other things, then 8.30 on Saturday, there's a membership class here. So again, no commitment. Jeff's running that. Jeff Dice, if you have more questions or you want to connect with him, make sure you know he knows you're coming, so he has donuts for you. You know, you don't want to run out. Make sure you talk to Jeff. Um, if you're a, you uh, have a child here, or your child attends here to our church or to our youth groups or children's club, and they're in third grade through twelfth grade, and they like horseback riding, playing basketball, maybe you just need a week away, or they need a week away, you can send your child if they tend here to Camp Living Waters for fifty dollars this summer. Camp costs are two hundred eighty-nine to three hundred twenty-nine dollars, depending on if you're going to ranch camps. So you can see the the amount of money that's covered by that our church we cover half and there's a donor that covers half but there's a process if you have a child or the other qualification is if if you know somebody a child that doesn't go to church anywhere we want them to go too there's a there's a process to go through there's a scholarship request you can apply for the scholarship and you'll be contacted in a week and out on the welcome center is that request you fill it out right there there's a tote right there drop it right in there you'll be contacted with our codes how you can sign up and answer any questions. It's a group. We sent about 50 kids to camp last year, and camp is a huge impact. It's, it's Sunday to Friday. You're out in nature. God is everywhere, and we have, they have great counselors they hire. It's a great experience for those kids if you can get them there. Um, so I hope you do that. So again, welcome. Glad you're here to join here to join us. Have your Bibles. Uh, join me in Second Corinthians chapter four. Steve's right. We are glad you're here today. Thank you for coming to worship with us and to study God's word together, to to sing praises, to fellowship. That's what church is all about, and we're we're glad you're here with us this morning. Um, we it's not in the bulletins, but. Um, I wanted everyone to know that next week we are going to begin a, a whole new study. Today we're finishing up our series on life's healing choices. If you've been a part of a small group, uh, this will be the last 
the last session in the DVD videos. And then beginning next week, we're going to begin studying the book of Acts. The book of Acts is kind of the next step in the, in the story. If you, if, you, if you start in the New Testament, you read through the Gospels, you know that they're about the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. And it describes his, his death and his resurrection. And then the book of Acts takes it the, to the next chapter, really, and, and tells us what happens then to those who begin to follow Christ. How did the, the Gospel begin to spread? How did, how did the Gospel, in essence, really change the Roman Empire? In the book of Acts is an exciting narrative of that account. And we're going to study kind of the first half up until where Paul's missionary journeys start. We're going to start a 12-week study next week. And I'm going to get uh, Wendy some information. So for those of you who would like to stay in your small groups, who would like some information to keep studying, we're going to have some discussion questions that are going to go along with what we're studying here on Sunday morning so that you can kind of further that and dig a little bit deeper. And so uh, that, that includes uh, my group that meets Sunday night. If you want to continue to join us while your kids are in kids club or if you just if you don't have anything, anything else to do, we meet at 530 back there by Route 28. I'd love to have you. Uh, we're just going to kind of continue meeting in small groups, continue uh, those studies. Uh, we'll, we'll get you the information if you'd like to stick in your small group. But uh, if you want to get ahead a little bit, we're going to dive right into uh, kind of an introduction of the book of Acts next week and kind of lay some of that groundwork so you can begin reading um, the, the beginning of the book, book of Acts if you want to get a head start on the rest of the class. Um, today's message is entitled Frail Vessels. Frail vessels. And healing choice number eight, and again, if you've been kind of walking through all of these, this is the final one. It says this I yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. And when I read that, I kind of thought the theme for this, uh, this particular healing choice was going to be uh, evangelism, sharing the gospel. That's kind of what that, that phrase said to me. But as I read the, the book and the accompanying study and I saw where kind of Rick Warren was going to go in, in the DVD series, the emphasis is more on using the, the difficulties that God has brought you through to be able to share those and be a blessing to other people. So we have all gone through different things in life. And maybe this study, perhaps, I hope, for some of you has been a real encouragement and a real changer. Maybe there's been that one thing where God has really grabbed a hold of you and said, I want you, Jeremiah, to focus in on this. I want you to deal with this sinful habit. I want you to deal with this this painful issue from your past that you've never dealt with. And now as you come full circle, God's desire is for you to use that as you encourage and serve other people. Now, maybe if that's a real painful issue that you've went through, you're not going to broadcast that story all over Facebook. You're not going to tell it to everybody that you stumble across on the street. But maybe, just maybe, God's going to bring someone into your life and as you begin to get to know them and there's this, this discipleship relationship beginning to start and, and you're, you're kind of helping encourage them in their faith, maybe God is going to bring along an opportunity for you to share that difficulty, that, that struggle that, that uh, battle that you've faced and maybe are continuing to face to help encourage them. And so as I thought about uh, Scripture that goes along with that idea, immediately 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, came to mind. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul has to defend his ministry against people who were seeking to discredit him. There were a lot of false teachers in, those, in that day and age. And in this group that had, had come in behind Paul, one of the arguments they used to discredit him was to say, listen, look at the way this guy suffers. 
Look at the difficulty he has gone through. And I just noticed I'm not centered. That's going to bug me. Oh, my word. So for all of you OCD folks that have not been able to hear a word I've said, there we go. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) I just wanted to hide behind the speaker, I guess. I don't know what. Tim, I need you, buddy. I need you. I'm lost. There were people that came in and they said, listen, Paul it can in no way be genuine. He can no way be the real deal because look at the stuff he goes through. If he were really a follower of Christ, he wouldn't be suffering this way. He wouldn't be going through these painful circumstances. Look, God must be punishing him, trying to get him out of the ministry. God must be trying to squelch him because he is a disobedient and unfaithful servant. There were people saying that kind of thing. And so Paul had to write the book of 2 Corinthians and say, wait a minute, look at here. I am the real deal. And he, and, he, and he hated doing it. In fact, if you read the whole book, you'll see that there are five different times he refers to himself as a fool for having to talk this way. Once, he even refers to himself as a madman. Because he didn't like talking about himself. He wanted to talk about Jesus all the time. He wanted Jesus to get the glory. And he had to step back a little bit and say, listen, I want you to know that my message about Jesus is the real thing. And here's why. And a lot of the book of 2 Corinthians is devoted to that. And so that's a little bit of the, of the background uh, uh, of chapter four here, but what he's going to say is, is that he says, rather than, than suffering and frailty and weakness being a, being a disqualifier for being a true servant of God, he said, actually, it's the exact opposite. It is the mark of being a true servant. A true apostle, a true follower of Christ, a true minister is going to be a broken, frail vessel. And so if you have your outline, if you're an outline person and you want to follow along there, I think it is in your bulletins. And uh, the, the, first, the first point there is the frailty of the afflicted. So I, I, I busted out the thesaurus. We've got the frailty of the afflicted, the faith of the afflicted, and the forbearance of the afflicted this morning. And the first one I want to look at is the frailty of the afflicted. We're going to read verses 7, and, 7 through 12 together. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the, carry, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies, so that we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The frailty of the afflicted. If you were to um, be offered, if you're a heavy coffee drinker like I am, and you're to be offered a a coffee mug to... uh, to carry around and, and to keep as a gift, would you gravitate towards this, this fine styrofoam cup? Or if you had the option, would you take this, which is pretty cool. My mom gave me this, and it, there's coffee in there. And it's like leak-proof, because I was always spilling coffee 
on, on my way into work, down my shirt and stuff, because I had, had usually, I would just buy cheap travel mugs. And so she said, look, this one works here. So I love this thing. It doesn't actually spill. I, I, it's not really intentionally a commercial, but <laughs> they, they I'm, I promise I'm not selling these. I don't make a commission off them or anything. <laughs> but pro- probably, I'm just going to assume without polling, I don't have Jeff's uh, little texting um, capabilities to put that up on the screen here. But without doing a poll, I'm just going to assume that probably most of us would choose this. It keeps, it, it honestly, it keeps my coffee warm for hours. Whereas, you know, you got a styrofoam cup. You gotta, you're going to go out there and get a, grab a cup of coffee, and you're going to probably pound that before Sunday school starts. Because you know it's, it's not going to keep the heat in very well. It's not going to last. You're more likely to spill with this. It's, it's not kind of the, the vessel that you would really choose because it's kind of flimsy. It's meant to be that way. Well, in, old, in, in New Testament times, there were also different types of vessels. There were, there were high quality, more expensive ones. And then there were cheap ones that you could find in the marketplace that were just made out of really brittle clay. And the, the other, other vessels could be prepared. If you had a metal vessel or, or even glass ones could be melted down and the material reused. But once broken, these, these clay vessels had to be discarded. They were, they were cheap and had little intrinsic value. And Paul may have had in mind the small earthenware oil lamps that were sold cheaply in the marketplace. And what he's saying here is that we as Christians are like these frail vessels. That, that we're not necessarily supposed to be made of real sturdy stuff, in a sense. What he's saying here is that, that when affliction comes, and it will, when difficulties come, and, and they will, he said we should be composed of the kind of material that when it breaks, and breaks easily, that the light of Jesus begins to shine through that. See, if these false apostles, they were, all, they, were, they, were, they were proud of all of their skills and their abilities, and they were, they were rock solid, and, and they didn't let anything penetrate. They were proud and arrogant people, and they, they, they walked around like they had everything all together. And that kind of person is not someone who is desperately dependent on Christ. That kind of person is a, 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 a proud, self-sufficient person. And, and you know, if, if you've studied your Bible before, that, that God doesn't have room for that kind of a person. God says he gives grace to the humble. And he frequently lays low those who are proud. God gives grace to the humble. And that's what Paul is saying here in, in verse 7. He said, we're, we're frail people. We have this treasure in, in earthen vessels. This treasure of Christ. And so that when, he, when, when afflictions come... Everybody's going to say that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that's why these people were able to come in after Paul and say, look how weak he was. And Paul says, that's right, but look at what God did among you. People got saved, churches got started, people's lives were transformed. You better believe it that I am weak. You better believe that it's not about me and my great abilities and gifts. But you better believe this is all about God. And Paul was writing to warn them that any, anybody who came in and the spotlight was on them and, 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 if, and, if, and if people, when they leave, if people are talking about those people rather than God, Paul's saying, listen, that's, that's not the kind of ministry that, that God's about. He's about using frail, weak, humble vessels. 
He told them in, in, the, in, the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he told them the first letter he wrote to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God delights to use the weak, the powerless, so that he can be made much of. And Paul had been brought to the brink. He goes on and uh, he says here that in verse 8, he says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. That word afflicted means uh, compressed or constricted. That he says that, that, that sometimes the pressure gets to apply to our life and, and we feel kind of squished, kind of constricted. But ultimately, as God brings those circumstances in our life to test us and to try us, he's not about crushing us. He's not about squishing and destroying and, and discarding us. But he wants to apply the pressure so that the life of Christ can begin to ooze out. He says that we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Perplexed means to be in a confused state of mind, to be at a loss, to be in doubt. You ever felt that way? You ever wondered what God's doing in your life and you're just scratching your head, thinking, God, what is going on here? I am perplexed at what you're doing. I am baffled at what's going on. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've studied the scripture, I've tried to turn it all over to you, and I still have absolutely no clue what you're up to. Well, if you felt that way, you're in good company, because Paul said he did. He said, I felt perplexed. I've I've been scratching my head, and I, I don't understand sometimes what God's up to. But, but, he said, I've not been driven to despair. I've been confused, I've wondered, I've questioned, but never have I thrown off and, and just completely walked away. Never have I gotten to the point where I said, God is hopeless, God doesn't care, and he's finished with me, and I'm finished with him. He says, we're persecuted, but not driven to despair. Let's see if, if I've got my translation correctly here. Um, He said, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. Excuse me. He says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. He's been harassed. He's been challenged because of his beliefs. He's been criticized. But he's not been totally abandoned. He recognizes that even though there have been Christians in the church of Corinth, that had turned their backs on him. They had, they had said, you know what? We're going to follow these guys, Paul. I'm sorry. You were not as you didn't have the, the multimedia presentations. You didn't you didn't wear the, the fine shiny suits that these guys are wearing. Uh, you, you didn't you didn't say things that made us feel better about ourselves. So I think we're going to be kind of done with you, Paul. Even though they had turned their backs on him, some of them had. God had not turned his back on Paul. And that happens sometimes when you're serving God, you're being faithful. You're going to be misrepresented. There's going to be people who slander you, people who criticize you. But you need to be ultimately sure, if if you're following Christ, if you look at your behavior and your actions and they line up with Scripture, you need to be ultimately sure that there's one who's not going to be forsaking you at all. That God is going to stand there beside you, even if others choose not to. And and sometimes that that can be an accurate barometer. If, man, if if everybody's opinion is contrary to mine, I, I probably should... 
at least rethink it a little bit and, and carefully re-examine my position. But then you might come back and say, you know what? No, this stance is scripture. It's biblical. It's what God wants. And there may be times in your life where you're standing alone. I'm talking to you, high schooler, who, who maybe is taking a stand for your faith in an unpopular situation. Maybe you've got a bunch of friends that want to go do something that you know is contrary to what you've learned in God's word. And you think, man, I am right now the only one who is saying, I don't think this is a good idea, guys. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means it's hard. Or maybe you're at work and the conversation has taken a, a terrible left turn and, and man, they're, they're, everybody's ragging on the boss. And maybe some of their points are, are valid. And, and, and you know that you could probably join in and it wouldn't get back to them. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand alone? Are you going to be willing to have people kind of mock you a little bit? Are you going to be willing to become the, the butt of those jokes around the water cooler? When we choose to take a stand and do what's right, we may be persecuted, we may be afflicted, but God tells us that he's not going to ultimately see us crushed. He's ultimately not going to see us abandoned. Merrill Tenney, a Bible scholar, translated it like this, this these, these verses 8 and 9. He says, We're squeezed but not squashed. We're bewildered but not befuddled. We're pursued but not abandoned. We're knocked down but not out. And I like those, those renderings. Because there are times in our life that we feel like maybe we have been abandoned. There are times in our life where we feel like maybe God has forsaken us. But Scripture reminds us that it is not the case. Even if our feelings are pointing us in the other direction, we need to come back to God's Word and remember that He has not given up on us. Secondly, I want us to think about the faith of the afflicted. The faith of the afflicted. Paul reminds us that we're frail and and that's okay. That's okay, because when those times come, those difficult times come, that means that that God is shining through our frailty. That if there's ministry being done, people are getting saved, uh, lives being changed, everybody's going to say, well, we know it wasn't him. Well, we know it wasn't her. It must be God doing the work here. It must be God doing the work. But all is born out of faith. We have to trust that that God is going to do that. You know what I mean? We have to, we have, when we step into that circumstance, when we step into that difficult situation, we have to trust that God is up to something. And when Paul is talking about afflictions here, I think he's, he's mostly speaking about, about persecution for the faith, but I don't think that's all he's talking about. I think he's using general terms to encompass all of the things that bring about suffering, whether that's physical health, whether that's family issues, financial issues, whether that's other relational issues or, or people... Uh, persecuting you for your stance on the faith, Paul is saying, you need to trust, you need to have faith that God is up to something and that he's going to come through for you. And so he says in verses 13 through 15, he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, and he quotes a psalm here, he says, I believed and so I spoke. He uses that psalm as evidence of his faith. And he says, So we believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. He's, first of all, got faith that he's going to be raised again one day. He's got faith that he's going to be raised again one day. He says, as I'm stepping into the battle here, as I'm stepping into the fray, he says, I've got faith 
So I'm going to believe and I'm also going to speak. I'm, a, I'm going to trust that God is for me, that God is walking through this with me. I mean, I, I'm not a person who, who uh, just gets excited about conflict and jumping into the middle of conflict. That's not my personality. And um, Paul could have just as easily have said to the Corinthian church, he could have said, you know what, guys? Forget it. I'm going to go find somebody who's going to be less of a headache. I'm going to find some place where they like me, where they're not going to rag on me. Forget you guys. If you want these whatever false teachers, if you want these guys that are going to shine you on and, and speak things that are going to make everybody feel good about themselves, you can have them. I'm done with you. He could have said that. It would have been far easier. He could have just washed his hands of them. But instead he said, listen, I'm going to, I'm still going to keep speaking. I'm going to still keep being faithful to you. I'm going to still keep trying to draw you back to belief in the right things. And so he wanted them to realize that he was trusting God to do something amazing in their midst. It wasn't because he was eloquent. It wasn't because he was writing a letter that was going to answer all questions and, and do away with those, those false teachers once and for all. But he says, I'm going to continue to speak. I believe, and so I'm going to speak. I'm going to step out in faith and do what I believe is right because I have faith that God is working here as well. And he said, I believe that uh, in, in addition to that, that God's going, to, God's going to raise me from the dead just like he raised Christ from the dead. So if things get bad enough, and I end up losing my life in the midst of this, which he did. The tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded for his faith in Christ. He says, ultimately, I know that the resurrection is going to happen. I'm going to once again uh, uh, you know, live. I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior. That gave him great boldness going forward. There was nothing that anybody could do to him that would, that would um, destroy him. That ultimately, he knew that no matter what happened, he would be in the presence of God. He also had faith that his actions were going to benefit others. The beginning of verse 15 says, For it is all for your sake. Some of your translations will say that it's for your benefit. He says, I'm doing this for you. We need to remember that as, as, as we go through something, let's just let's pick something. Let's, let's pick a health, a health struggle because we know that there's a lot of folks in our, our church family that are struggling with their health. Paul realizes here that some of these trials that we go through, they're not necessarily first and foremost for us. Yeah, God wants to strengthen our faith, but maybe, maybe it's for that one unbelieving relative that is standing in the shadows watching. They're watching how you react and act when you talk about your illness. They're watching how you treat others. They're watching how, what, you, what you say and, and your demeanor and your tone of voice. And some of them will see you walk through this, maybe the most difficult time in your life. Some of them will see your faith in the midst of that. And maybe they will never tell anybody. Maybe they'll never tell you. But they're watching and God is using your story to impact them. Maybe it's someone that you're going to get to sit down with. And as you're discipling, you know, maybe, maybe as, a, as an older adult, you, you sit down with a teenager and you begin to develop a relationship with them. You go to a couple ball games together and you're getting to know them and you're, and you're kind of pouring your life into them. Like 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about um, 
teaching faithful men to teach others also. And you're pouring your life into them and, and, and you see them struggling in their teen years with, with potentially bad choices. And, and maybe you can bring up a story that you just as soon forget. You know you've been forgive, forgiven for, but it's not something you like to dwell on. But maybe at that, right, at that moment, it's just the right time for you to say, hey, when I was a teenager, I was out partying one night. And I had a few beers. and I, I thought I was just fine. I partied late with my friends and I got behind a wheel. And you've got this story that even today just makes you break down and cry. But maybe your story is going to keep that young person from making a wreck out of their lives. It's going to keep them from going down a path that you know leads to destruction. And he, Paul says, all this, all this is for your sake. It's all for your benefit. I'm going through these things. I'm, I'm suffering these things for your benefit. And he also knew in that same verse that God will get the glory. He says, for it's all for your sake, verse 15, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving all to the glory of God. That is, as Paul was, was being beaten for the gospel, was being hurt for the gospel, being forsaken for the gospel. He says, listen, my goal is that the gospel's going out and that God gets the glory. In the end, I don't care what happens to me, but I want God's message, God's truth to go out. And as, as people come to faith in Christ, they'll begin to worship him. Their hearts and lives will begin to change. Uh, there was an occasion where uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great, the great preacher from the 1800s, was explaining the gospel to a woman who was on the verge of belief and trusting in Christ. And she exclaimed, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if the Lord saves me, he shall never hear the end of it. That's what God's goal is in these difficult times. That as, as the gospel goes out, people's lives are being changed and God gets the glory as, people's, as his praise flows from others' lips. And then lastly, I want us to think about the, the forbearance of the afflicted. Verses 16 and 18 the forbearance of the afflicted. What is it that keeps us going? What is it that keeps us from giving up? And I want you to see a few things here from this letter. This is the second time in this chapter that Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. Therefore we do not lose heart. We, we know that God is in the midst of this. So I don't lose heart. I don't, I don't quit. I don't give up. I don't throw in the, ta- the towel. First of all, he says, though our outer self is, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why don't, why don't we give up? Well, first of all, is because God renews us on a daily basis. God renews us on a daily basis. I have, I have a lot written down here, but I, I'll, I'll kind of condense it. In essential, Scripture teaches that God, God gives us the grace we need for right now. God does not par- promise tomorrow's grace today. But God gives us what we need to encounter what we're going to face today, moment by moment. There's that great passage in Isaiah chapter 40 where Isaiah said, Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God promises that as we moment by moment trust Him, that He will renew our strength so that we do, do not grow weary and, and give up. And, this is, and, and for those of you who are in the middle of a situation where you feel faint, where you feel as though you have no strength, you know that it's a moment-by-moment dependence upon Him. That you may have a good morning, but after lunch, that wave of oppression and discouragement hits you in a fresh way. And you need moment by moment to come to him and say, God, I feel faint and weary. And the Bible says that as we, as we trust and depend on him, he increases our strength. And I think that's what Paul is speaking about here when he refers to that in verse 16. He says, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The outside, it's falling apart. <laughs> anybody, can anybody amen that? <laughs> the outer man is, is wasting away. It's, it's falling apart. But inwardly, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. God's grace is there when we go to him and we ask him for it. And he will renew us inwardly. Secondly, Paul knew that his troubles were temporary. Paul knew that his troubles were temporary. He says in verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." He referred to his troubles as light and momentary. And I just, I just want to throw in, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but over in chapter 11, he listed some of his troubles. Some of you have read this list before. Okay, I, sometimes I just go here when I'm feeling like my problems are the worst in the world. He says, um, Five times, in Second Corinthians eleven twenty four. five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's 39, I believe. I'm doing my math correctly. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from, these, and apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure of me and all my anxiety for the churches. <laughs> That's tough. I mean, who can, who can say once I was stoned? Like, and he, he's, not, he's not talking about the drug stone, okay? But he's talking about, they act, they act I mean, you didn't live through that. That was, that was an execution, a stoning. It was not, a, it was not a, a spanking. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. Stonings were an execution. And God brought him through that. You can read that story in the book of Acts. God miraculously let him survive multiple attempts on his life. This was a guy who daily, he said, daily, I'm in danger. I don't know how, they, how he slept well. I mean, every day he was, he, he was in fear of his life. 
And he lived that way because that was the life he had chosen. That was the life God had called him to. And he calls those troubles light and momentary. Light and momentary afflictions are producing in us, are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He said in the grand scheme of things, these are just a blip on the radar screen. Because in God's eternal perspective, they don't even show up as like a dot on his little history timeline. And he says, I realize that there's something bigger happening here and there's glory that awaits from these light and momentary afflictions. For those of you moms who have had more than one child, I, I, was, I, was, at the, it, 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 uh, I was present for the birth of our two older boys. And um, yeah, I tried to be there for support and encouragement and all that stuff. And you know, guys, if you've, if you've been in that position, that the safest thing to do is just stay out of the way, to um, just, just try to be nice and encourage and, and, hope that every, and pray that everything comes out okay. And um, as I watched my wife go through that, you know, all nine months of carrying uh, the babies and, and the labor and things, I think, I thought after, as I, as I watched Caleb being born, I thought, surely no one in their right mind intentionally has a second one. I, I thought, look how difficult this is. I mean, the, the, the carrying, I mean, my wife's had a couple back surgeries, so Caleb was over nine pounds. So, I mean, just carrying him alone, I mean, that, that's a lot of work. And then, and then the labor and delivery, it's, you think, wow. But if you ask, I bet just about any mom in this room, would you do it again? Yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah. Yeah, because when you hold that little guy or that little girl for the first time, it changes your life. And, and, you, and you think back, and, and somehow, and my wife and I have had this discussion, it's almost like maybe God just intentionally erases your memory of the, of the whole experience as a mom. Because so many of you will go and do it again. <laughs> and, and you realize that those afflictions, those pains are light and momentary. In the grand scheme of things, the opportunity to have that gift and to raise that gift, to be a parent, all that, it was worth it. It was worth it. Now, I mean, I, again, that's easy for me to say up here because I didn't have to do the hard work. But I think if you're talking to moms out there, if you pull moms out there, they'd say it was worth it. It was light and momentary affliction compared to what I got out of it. And I think that's what Paul's saying here is that what we go through, what we struggle with, it's light and momentary compared to what you're going to get out of it. Compared to what God is doing in the lives of people around you, in, the li- in your own heart, and then what's, being, what's happening in eternity, this here, right now, it's light and it's momentary. And he's not trying to trivialize what you're going through. He's not trying to brush off your pain as no big deal. This was a guy speaking from experience. He'd not been fed on a silver spoon who had everything, any, everything smooth in life. We just read it. He'd face the worst of the worst. And he says, it's, it's worth it. It's light and momentary. And he says, for you Corinthians, I would do it all over again 
because I love you. And, and you, you read through the end of the book and he, he makes that very clear. He says in chapter 12, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. I want to pour out my life for you because I love you. These afflictions, the fact that you're rejecting me and don't want anything to do with me, he says it's light and momentary and it's all going to be worth it in the end. It's for your sake. It's for my inner man that's being renewed and it's for God's glory and for, for eternal rewards. It's all temporary. And he finishes with verse 18 and he says, he says, we don't look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. They come and they go. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's the, that's, those are the glasses he wants us to put on. He wants us to put on our eternity glasses so that when we see the difficulties, when we see the, the rejections and the, and the pain and the suffering and we, we feel like giving up and quitting, we feel like throwing up our hands and saying, what's the purpose behind all this? He says, I want you to put on your eternity glasses and I want you to look at it and realize that there's stuff happening in heaven, stuff being, being paved, roads being paved in eternity that you don't even see, you don't have a clue what's going on, but I want you to know that there's something happening up there. And, and we don't, we don't have, have that full picture. Jesus talked to us in Matthew 6 about laying up our treasures in heaven because there's something up there that's, that's worth far more than the rewards here on earth. The, pay, the payday is coming someday. And God wants us as we walk through these afflictions to fix our gaze on eternity. Someone once asked St. Francis how he was able to accomplish so much. This is his reply. He said, this may be why. The Lord looked down from heaven and said, where can I find the weakest, littlest man on earth? And then he saw me. And he said, I've found him. And he won't be proud of it. He'll see that I'm only using him because of his insignificance. As Christians, we need to become okay with that thought. That God didn't choose us because we're the best and the brightest, because we're the most talented and capable. When we become okay with the idea that we are only fragile vessels through whom God is ready to display his glory, that is when God can really use us. We are frail vessels. And that's okay. Because when we're broken, the life of Jesus can be manifested in our weakness. Let's pray. God, as we, as we close the service today, I'm reminded that all of us are at different levels of feeling frail right now. And it's your desire to bring us to points where we, we throw up our hands and we say, God, I can't do it. I, I, I don't have it figured out. I don't have the answers. I don't, I don't know what to do right now. And I believe that's, that's where you want us. I believe you want us to be frail vessels so that as we're broken, as we're beaten, as we struggle, the life of Jesus can be manifested in our bodies and and, and that glory that we can't even imagine or comprehend is being laid up in store for us in heaven. And that your name is being honored. God, I pray that we would just remember that others are being impacted as we trust you in the midst of these trials. And I, and I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters, for those here who are, 
who are in the middle of those difficult things, who maybe have, uh, have not worked through a difficulty like, like so many have in this, in this sermon series. And they're in the middle of it right now. They're struggling with it. God, I ask that you'd help them to adopt your perspective, to, to understand this passage and, and apply it. And they'd walk through their difficulty with faith, believing that you're not out to crush them, but you're out to, to draw them to yourself and to see Jesus manifested in their life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. And the 
explode. 